Hey guys, Nathan here from the Golden Homers Podcast. When I'm cooking dinner or grilling on the weekends, I want to use what great chefs use in their steakhouses, exceptional quality meats. Meetup Vegas is my hookup. Meetupvegas.com. That's M-E-A-T, meet, meetupvegas.com. Their specialty meat packs come with veal cutlet, pork chops, and extra meaty pork baby back ribs or prime rib. And you already know meetupvegas.com is known for its unreal steaks. All the meat is individually vacuum sealed to maintain absolute freshness for 200 plus days in your freezer. And it's cheaper than you think. Check it out now at meetupvegas.com and use code IRISH10 at checkout to receive $10 off your first order. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Golden Homers podcast. Uh, It's Wisconsin week around uh, the South Bend area. Um, moving over to Chicago, I guess. So I guess it's not really in the South Bend area per se. Uh, Notre Dame is is three and zero after another. Um, you know, I guess for quote unquote another thrilling victory. Uh, fans aren't necessarily pleased overall, but I think this was kind of a step in the right direction. Um, again, my name is uh, Nathan. You can find me on Twitter at Nathan underscore Erbach. Uh, you can find my partner Mason at uh, Mason Plumber underscore. I uh, have a special guest this week. Some of you have probably seen him around uh, on Twitter. His name is uh, Danny Cunningham, works for ESPN Cleveland. Um, I'll let him explain what he does there and a new job he is starting this week uh, for the NBC affiliate. Um, it sort of in that area as well. Uh, no, no, no Danny from my uh, Slap the Sign days. Um, and he also used to cover Wisconsin football. Uh, at the zone in Madison. Uh, so he has some some good insight on a few of the Wisconsin players. He used to cover Jack Cohn before his playing career really got started over there. But uh, we're going to we're going to dive right in and uh, welcome uh, Danny to the show. Uh, Danny, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks uh, for having me, guys. Really excited to be doing this. How you yeah, doing? We're excited Mason? to have you. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Absolutely. My pleasure. All right, Danny, um, I guess we'll, ju- we'll start by, you know, we'll just kind of clear the air a little bit. Um, obviously, I kind of introduced you as, you know, the, uh, someone over at ESPN, ESPN Cleveland. Uh, you're starting a new gig here soon, and, and you've kind of been, you know, in a lot of different places over the last several years, um, kind of just in the, in the sports journalism, sports broadcasting, I guess, to, uh, to an extent as well. So um, just go ahead and kind of tell, um, you know, our listeners, you know, where they can find you. Yeah, man, I've, uh, that's one way to put it. I've been a lot of different places in the last five years. I know you from my brief time at Slap the Sign so many years ago, you know, writing uh, defensive stories about Devin Studstill playing safety for the Fighting Irish <laughs> once upon a time. Um, I worked at ESPN Cleveland for a couple of years while I was in college, while I was just out of college. Ended up taking a, uh, a job covering the University of Wisconsin for football and basketball uh, at a place called the zone in Madison. So I moved up there, was there for about 13 months, got to do some brewers and bucks and a little bit of Packer stuff too, on more of an as needed basis, but really focused on Wisconsin football. Um, I was there the year they beat Miami in the, the orange bowl where the whole, uh, you know, Paul Chris turnover chain, my ass thing from that game. <laughs> um, like that, that was a fun year. They, they lost the big 10 championship game to Ohio state on, uh, a little bit of fishy officiating down the stretch of that game, but that was certainly a fun year for Wisconsin athletics. Then I ended up moving to Minneapolis. I worked for Score North for uh, around two years, where I covered the Minnesota Tim. 
were very much in the news today. So I got to talk to a lot of old friends uh, about what's going on up there as NBA season gets started. But, you know, I'm back at ESPN Cleveland. I'm on a show every night called ECT from 5 to 7 Eastern time, 8.50 or, you know, ESPN.com. Just go to the Cleveland page. That's where I'm at. I do a, a bunch of other things there too. Some writing for the website, just kind of everything on an as needed basis. And I'm also starting at WKYC uh, here in Cleveland, the NBC affiliate as a digital content producer in the next couple of weeks here. And uh, we'll just kind of see where everything goes, but I've had my, my hands in a lot of things over the last seven years or so, really since I got started and it's been a wild ride, but I'm thrilled that it's uh, brought me here tonight. Yeah, no, I know I've kind of known you around that that first kind of starting point. We've become pretty good friends um, just doing all that. And, you know, obviously part of the reason we brought you on the show is you're also a big Notre Dame fan. Yes, that um, too. Uh, should have been mentioned and it wasn't, but I uh, <laughs> I, I grew up a, a giant Notre Dame fan. Um, it's just kind of what Saturday afternoons at 2.30 or 3.30 uh, always were in my household and you know that's what they still are in my household um i even when i was working other places if i was covering wisconsin you know i was keeping tabs on notre dame i played college football at a, a division two school which is you know the only school i would ever want to beat notre dame in football and that'll <laughs> never happen but that's it um and even then i would i remember uh i was a freshman in 2012 and i remember getting off the bus from an away game and I was rushing up to my dorm room so I could catch the fourth quarter of the Notre Dame Stanford game with the goal line stop. Um, oh, there you go. Like I, I have memories like that throughout my life. So yes, I should have mentioned in that way too long winded intro that I have <laughs> been a Notre Dame fan for my entire life. And that's something that certainly will never change. And one of the few Ohioans probably that also hates Ohio state. Oh my goodness. I could talk about that for five hours. And although I will say I hate them a little bit less now because urban Meyer is gone. It's <laughs> oh, yeah. not my, my disdain for, for that football team isn't quite as high. However, I was thrilled, thrilled that Oregon beat them at the horseshoe two weeks ago. That despite the fact Notre Dame struggled with Toledo the same day, <laughs> seeing Ohio state lose, made it all worth it. That's fair. That's fair. Um, we'll get right into it. Um, I know we want to ask you a few questions about, uh, you know, just kind of Notre Dame in general this year. What are your thoughts? I know you, um, you know, you, you caught a little bit or you, you caught the tail end of, of the game this past week, but I'm sure you, you know, you've rewatched it and seen highlights and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, I rewatched it. Uh, you have to, I mean, I do the same thing. I remember one time I was sitting in my house and it was, forgot what I was doing. I think it was like early on when I first started dating my wife who I've been with for, you know, God knows 11 years now. And, um, I was in my, still living with my parents. Cause I was, I, we just started dating. It was high school. Um, and ended up watching like Notre Dame, Michigan at 11 at night. And the game had ended probably 10 hours prior to that. And I was always super, <laughs> super weird about not any no one can tell me the score no one can do this do that now with you know my my twitter my notre dame twitter and you know just how many people know that i you know cover notre dame follow notre dame whatever it's harder to kind of do that but i used to just shut off my phone and and if yeah. i could watch a game for whatever reason i would do the same thing but uh 
but yeah, no, what, what are, um, I know Mason will probably have some follow-up questions to this one specifically, but what are, what's sort of your take on, on the Notre Dame season after three weeks? Uh, certainly underwhelming uh, is the first word that kind of comes to mind when you think about the 2021 fighting Irish so far, just because, and I didn't have unrealistic expectations this year. I didn't think that this was a college football playoff caliber of team. I thought that they were a notch below that. And I was okay with that. I understand this program right now is not Alabama. This program right now is not Clemson or Georgia or Ohio state. And that's okay. I hope they can get there at some point, but right now recruiting is just not at a high enough level. And I don't think that they, for as good as Ian book was, um, I don't think that they've had that dude at quarterback that kind of elevates your program to that level. A la Clemson once upon a time with Deshaun Watson, because I, I think that this is a, a team that you can kind of compare to those Clemson teams pre Deshaun Watson, if you want to. And then he kind of took that program to another, another level and it's been there ever since. But the thing that stuck out to me in a negative light, the most is just that this offensive line is not a Notre Dame offensive line. Um, and I don't know if that's, you know, because they're on their third string left tackle or because they haven't had enough time together. And I know that they only returned like what, 33 or 31, however many starts coming into this year. I don't know if it's the lack of experience, the lack of cohesiveness, what it is, but seeing a Notre Dame team struggle to run the ball, um, at least in a post 2016 world is a real eye opener. Um, and it's certainly a bummer to see because, you know, so much credit was given, I think rightly deserved last year to Kyron Williams as just kind of the engine that made that offense go. And, and Chris Tyree is another guy that, you know, Nathan, I know, you know, I've had super high hopes for him as a player <laughs> since he was a, a junior in high school, really. Right. Um, so it's been disappointing to see that those guys can't get it going. And I don't think it's through their own faults. Um, but on the flip side of things, you know, watching some of these wide receivers, I know Kevin Austin didn't have a good week against Purdue, but watching him against Florida State, against Toledo has been impressive. Kyle Hamilton, I think, is the best player in the country. Um, he is just an absolute treat to watch. Um, he makes it so I'm excited when Notre Dame's on defense. And there's not many guys you've ever been able to say that about, despite the fact that they've had some really good defenses. I mean, he's basically up there with Jalen Smith and Manti Teo for me in terms of dudes I just always want on the field. Um, so th there have been some good things. There have been some bad things. Ultimately, I'm a little disappointed with the state of this team right now. But, you know, Brian Kelly said something earlier this week. I don't remember if it was post game or, or even Sunday or Monday when he talked um, that he felt this team kind of grew up a little bit during that Purdue game. And that's a sentiment I think I could share just from seeing them be able to put a team away uh, was something that encourages me for the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that the team is improving. I do want to get your thoughts on one thing. I just listened to your answer there. Uh, reminded me of something Nathan and I talked about earlier this week, a defensive Heisman Kyle Hamilton has to win it. Right. If there was, if there was one. So if there was one, yes. Um, I, I mean, but if there was one like Manti Teo would have won it. Jalen Smith Easily, may have yeah, won yeah. it too. I mean, Manti's would have been a runaway because he almost won the actual Heisman that year. Right. Um, it's a bummer, man, that there's not some type of award for that because he is so good. He's uh, just everything that he does. He's everywhere. The, 
the intercept, the second interception he had against Florida State was truly it, like that is a one of one type of play. Getting over from the opposite hash in college is unbelievable because of how wide the hash marks are. Seeing him make that play, it's just um, if I see that on Twitter or if it's embedded in someone's article, I have to stop what I'm doing and watch it every <laughs> single time. And that's never going to change. Um, he's going to be, I know Quentin Nelson was a top 10 pick a couple of years ago, but he's going to be a top five pick. And if you're in the top five and I know, you know, the NFL tends to be super quarterback heavy at the top of drafts and for very good reason, as you know, both Nathan and I can attest to as Browns and Bears fans here. <laughs> but if you have a top five pick and you don't need a quarterback, if you don't select Kyle Hamilton, you're doing it wrong because he's that type of player. Yeah, yeah I think you got to knock on wood after that one too because it feels like every time Notre Dame has a, a stud that is not an offensive lineman at the position – that that should end up going, you know, top 10. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, obviously guys like Quentin Nelson, Zach Martin went top, you know, what was it? Like, I think he went like 16th overall. You had Mike McGlinchey go number nine uh, a few years back as well. Ronnie Stanley, I think, went number six. So the offensive linemen have no, they have no issue putting those guys in the top 10. But whenever they do have a guy that might be worthy of top 10 status, something happens. Manti Teo has a fake girlfriend gets blown gets you know the 2012 against Alabama game against Eddie Lacy then you have uh Jalen Smith just completely blow out his ACL yeah uh, Jalen Smith's the one for me because I don't know that my Manti Teo would have been a top 10 pick just because of his I don't know that he was ever fast enough to be really really good in the NFL but Jalen Smith would have been a top five pick if he didn't suffer nerve damage in the Fiesta Bowl and yeah just everything um, game I was at, by the way, but he was that guy. He's the only one that I can compare Kyle Hamilton to for even as great as Manti Teo was, you know, he was kind of, he was kind of an old school middle linebacker that was above average in coverage and in the right place at the right time, a lot defensively where Jalen and Kyle Hamilton are just freakish athletes and that's i think what separates those two from him yeah no absolutely the the uh certainly agree with the athletic part i think teo is probably getting some steam because of the heisman sure and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff you had skip bayless on tv saying he was the best player in the draft class and you know obviously we know where, where skip bayless's <laughs> career has gone to an extent but um but yeah no i mean it's just it's just so weird how many of these guys that they have that seem like they could be top 10 picks at some point don't end up getting reaching that level for one reason or another. So knock on wood on the Kyle Hamilton talk, hopefully knock on wood on the Michael Mayer talk as well. Cause I think he could end up being a top, a top 10 pick at tight end, which is very rare in its own right. Yes. That's i uh, I'm very curious. And I know we still have a year on him, which is watching him. It's crazy to think this guy's not even allowed to be in the NFL draft. And you know, a lot of that that rules in place so guys whose bodies aren't ready for that rigorous grind don't put themselves in that situation. But, like, if there's ever a dude that is, Michael Mayer looks like he could play in the NFL this Sunday, and he's 19 or 20 years old. Like, he, he's just a freak. Um, but tight ends don't get drafted high. I know we saw one in Kyle Pitts this year. 
uh, out of Florida get drafted to the Falcons, I think at number eight, if I'm not mistaken, maybe Michael Mayer is that next guy. But I think that would be a lot of fun to see him be a top 10 pick too. That'd be great for the, the program to say that, you know, we had top 10 skill position players drafted in back-to-back years. And that hasn't happened at Notre Dame for how long? A long, long time. I think it w- we would be hard-pressed to see Hamilton go top – or no, I'm sorry, uh, Mayer go top 10. I think he's a surefire first-round pick. Put your put your house on that. But I think, I think it's not uh, an exaggeration to say that Pitts is just a freak and as, as athletic as Michael Mayer is, Pitts – is still just the better prospect. He's the people are saying he's the best tight end prospect ever. And I guess we've yet to see him do anything quite insane uh, to those standards in the NFL yet. But I think they're probably right in that sense, but uh, I don't know if those comparisons are necessarily just, but yeah, uh, like you said, I'm excited for another year and a half minimum, I guess uh, of Michael Mayer. Yeah. And listen, as a Browns fan in Cleveland, uh, with a head coach who runs more 13 personnel than anyone in the NFL. If Michael Mayer fell to wherever the Browns are picking, there would be no one happier than me. Trust me, because he's the <laughs> perfect NFL tight end truly is. I he's, he can do everything you ask him to. I know that, you know, people want to call him baby Gronk, which I think is a lazy thing, but he kind of reminds me of Travis Kelsey to an extent. I like that praise a lot. I've kind of, I've had that uh, enjoyment of being able to watch a guy at my favorite, my favorite university, watch a guy at Notre Dame through his whole career and now balling for the Steelers and Chase Claypool. So I'm enjoying that a lot. And hopefully you get to enjoy that too. Well, I mean, I, the, the plan is for that to happen with Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa. Oh, that's I, right. I mean, he's, he, uh, I think the Browns were certainly lucky enough to have him fall to them at pick number 56, which I assume the three of us did not expect him to be around there in the second round, but you know, when the Browns traded up to grab him, I was, could not have been happier. I remember we were texting during the draft and you wanted him in the first round. I did. I wanted him at 26, the Browns at the 26 pick and they used it on uh, corner Greg Newsom out of Northwestern who has, has been good through two games. Like I think he's only given up one catch for six yards in two games. Um, but I wanted them to take Owusu Koromo in the first round. I thought he was that good. I still think he's that good. I think that there's certainly an acclimation period to the NFL, but I I think he's going to be a stud. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, you know, I think all of our teams at this point have, you know, at least that, that one or two Notre Dame guys on the roster now. I mean, as a Bears fan, I finally got to see them draft, you know, Cole Komet. And then now you, yep. you have Sam Mustafer starting at center for them, even though he wasn't drafted. He's been a pretty good player for them over the last couple of years. Um, and unexpected, I think, because of the, you know, the undrafted label, Alex Bars, a reserve, a reserve lineman for them as well. And then obviously Mason mentioned Claypool. He's probably a little bit you know, a little too young for Jerome Bettis, but I've got to deal, you know, hopefully has those kind of disengraved in his, uh, in his, maybe his early childhood memories, or at least in the highlight film, but highlight wow, film I, for sure. Man, <laughs> I, Nathan, I know you and I are an old Mason, Mason, I know you're younger than us, but just Jerome Bettis thinking that as like an early childhood memory. <laughs> is that that is a statement that makes me feel old but also he's been out of the league a long time now which is crazy right right and uh and you find you know it's funny you finally got the uh 
hopefully the really good Notre Dame player. You you got to experience the the Brady Gwen, Brady Quinn fiasco when they dropped. Yeah, the um, I mean the the Notre Dame guys I can think of on the Browns. I I remember they drafted Jeff Fain, which is okay. a throwback name. I believe that was in. 2004, if I'm not mistaken, they took him. Brady Quinn, which, you know, middle school me could not have been happier about. Um, <laughs> but those those are the two that stand out to me. I know that they've had others, but no big names that I can think of. Deshaun Kaiser, right? Uh, yes, Deshaun Kaiser, who <laughs> I liked. And listen, Deshaun was never going to be a franchise quarterback. But he was also put in a really, really, really bad situation in Cleveland. He had no business being a starter as a rookie. And he's not the reason why that team went 0-16. But I, it was just a terrible situation. His career was over the minute that they drafted him. And I feel really bad still for him. What do you think would have happened if he would have stayed at Notre Dame that one extra year as many people thought he should have? Um, I think he could have become a first round pick. Um, I know the Browns got it, drafted him in the second round. I think he could have become a first round pick. I don't know that it necessarily changes the equation on whether or not he's a franchise quarterback in the NFL, but it probably, I know it puts him into a better situation wherever he does get drafted because he could not have been drafted into a worse situation. So taking a do over and going back to school for him would have been the best, not even because he had another year at school, but because he didn't go to the worst team in the NFL. Yeah, I'll be honest. I think I think the the going back to school or the you know or 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 leaving early, whatever it is, is a little overrated in the sense that kind of like in in the sense that I agree with you. Like while I think he probably could have been a first round pick, maybe he has a little bit better career or at least lasts longer because you're investing a little bit more, you know, draft capital in them and money and so on and so forth. I don't think staying one more year makes you, you know, a, a stud. And I mean, I agree. And, and just the, and then and kind of in the same way that Mitchell Trubisky never worked out for, for the bears. I don't think him only playing one season at North Carolina. If he played three seasons of start of a, at a starting role at North Carolina, I don't think that necessarily means he translates into a, a stud in the NFL per se. So no, I think it's either you kind of have it or you don't. Um, but for Kaiser going back to school was more about, he could be, he could have been placed in a much, much better situation than the one that he ultimately was in. And uh, that alone ruined his career. Yeah, absolutely. I think Jimmy Clausen's kind of the same way. He gets drafted in the second round one year, get, has to start right away. Yeah they end up having the first pick in the draft to go to Cam Newton. And it's just like, okay, maybe he was, would have been okay. But when you have to sit behind someone for several years after that, and then you never really get another opportunity, it's hard to say if the guy is going to be any good. Um, yeah. I mean, he kind of got Josh Rosen. Exactly. Yeah. Josh Rosen. I hope that becomes a term. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope it doesn't just for other quarterbacks sakes. Yeah. That's tough. Is he even on a practice squad anymore? Uh, he is the Falcons' backup. Yeah, yeah. All when, right. uh, Good for him. He McCarran can't do worse than Matt Ryan. Well, he can do worse than Matt Ryan. That's not. That's <laughs> not. <laughs> um. So, so Danny, one thing I wanted to talk, you know, talk to you about, and we kind of referenced this at the beginning of the show, is you know your time at the zone, um, in Madison. 
Um, obviously it was a few years ago now, but there are, you know, and I think we were kind of looking at, I think you were surprised at how many players were still on the roster when we were going through it um, from your time there. And obviously, like I mentioned, Jack Cohen was there, was not the starter yet. Um, you know, but you know, you've mentioned, you, you know, you have, you've either heard good things or bad things, whatever that may be um, kind of, you know, may- maybe tell us a little bit about this Wisconsin team or just how it's run, I guess um, with a lot of the same coaching staff still there. Um, and then we can kind of maybe dive into a, a Notre Dame, Wisconsin preview. Well, Wisconsin is kind of, there are some similarities between them and Notre Dame um, in terms of the way they develop guys where I think Notre Dame has certainly in the post 2016 season era has done a very good job of developing talent and keeping guys around. And they've almost always been a bit of an older team. And Wisconsin is very, very much like that. You know, there's the stories about walk-ons at Wisconsin and how that's just, such a thing, how many walk-ons they have that get put on scholarship ultimately and then find their way into the NFL. And, you know, um, Nathan, like Joe Schobert playing for the Steelers now was a walk-on at Wisconsin. Like stories like that just exist over and over and over again because they're so good at player development and they've always been so good at player development. The difference between Notre Dame and Wisconsin there is Wisconsin's primarily developing three stars some four stars where Notre Dame's trying to develop four stars, some five stars. That's where the biggest difference is. Notre Dame here certainly has the edge in top end talent. Um, I truly believe that like Graham Mertz, who is the quarterback there has struggled so far this year has played less than a full season because COVID last year didn't play in every game last year. I think he's got 10 starts in his career. Um, like he was one of the highest rated prospects that Wisconsin has ever had. And he's a four-star. Um, and I know Notre Dame was after him for a while in their recruiting class. And they, at certain points really, really did want him, but he's thought to be the savior of that program. And so far he hasn't been, um, but they do have some talented guys on the roster wide receivers, like Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis, who have played a lot of football. And that's going to kind of be the common theme when you're watching the broadcast on, on Saturday at noon or whatever time it is for you guys, wherever you're listening to this, wherever you're residing, I'm speaking Eastern times here. <laughs> it's a lot of juniors and seniors. And that's how Wisconsin always is. There's not, not many times where you break into to the starting lineup as a freshman. I mean, it's, it's a rare thing. Jonathan Taylor, who's now in his second year on the Indianapolis Colts played three years at Wisconsin, went to the NFL. That's not how things work there. Um, That's just not typically what it is because guys typically need a little bit of time to develop that they go through that first full season as a practice player. Then they go through spring ball. And then as sophomores, they start to be able to sniff the field a little bit. That's just how Wisconsin's program is built. Um, There are certainly not going to light things up offensively. And I don't think that they have the running back talent that they've had in, in recent years. Like they don't have a guy like Jonathan Taylor right now. They don't have a guy like Melvin Gordon right now. Um, but defensively, they're going to be stout. I think that they are the best team statistically. I know it's only been two games. I know one of them was a snoozer against Penn state. And the other one was a snoozer against Eastern Michigan, but I think they're allowing the fewest yards per carry across division one, if I'm not mistaken, if, if they're not, I know they are up there. Um, and that's a bad sign for Notre Dame because Notre Dame has not been able to run the ball this year. 
so it's hard to imagine that they're going to be able to do so on Saturday at Soldier Field, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think just in the problems that you highlighted, the strengths and weaknesses of both teams, I think it lends itself to a pretty low-scoring game where possessions are going to be really key and getting the most out of every possession is key. Uh, where do you kind of see the game ending up uh, scoreline-wise? Uh, I think this this could be a game where both teams score under 20 points, which is kind of insane to say about a college football game in 2021. Um that said, if Jack Cohn, if they can protect Jack Cohn, which has That's been a, a problem, has been a giant problem <laughs> so far for this team, or if they can protect Tyler Buckner, because both of them are going to have to play, provided Buckner's hamstring is in good enough shape for him to be on the field Saturday. Both of them are going to see the field if both are able to. If they can protect those guys, I think that Notre Dame's skill position players are going to be able to make plays. I think that you know, if Chris Tyree can get the ball in space, he can take advantage of it. I'm just curious if they're going to be able to create opportunities for that. If they can have time to take a deep shot with Kevin Austin, I'm not sure Wisconsin has a guy that can keep up with Kevin Austin on the outside. Same thing with Braden Lindsay, um, who Nathan, I know you and I have just kind of both been waiting for him to, to really pop on the screen. Um, and, and, and let's be real, no one in the country has a guy that can cover Michael Mayer. So basically, this game, I think, is going to be decided on whether or not Notre Dame can, can protect whoever's playing quarterback, whether it's Cohen or Buckner. If that guy can be protected, Notre Dame's going to win. If that guy doesn't have enough time to get the ball out, Wisconsin's going to win this game. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. And, and part of the reason why I have Notre Dame winning this game um, on Saturday is is for a lot of those reasons. Um, I do think that for as how bad as bad as the offensive line has been, I think that there's been t- like tiny improvements each week. Um, I, I thought I saw Tosh Baker grow up a little bit um, against Purdue. Um, you know, I think Michael Carmody coming back could help. They can maybe is play he him. is he going to play this week? Do we know? That's been kind of the idea. I don't know if it's been confirmed yet, but let's just say let, let's just say he doesn't. Then I then I think Tosh Baker having another week under his belt as the starter um, could help. Um, we all know he was a highly recruited guy. I mean, he was a guy that was supposed to you know establish you know no uh, you know uh, offensive line you or continue that. Sure. Um, but even if even if uh, Carmody does start. Um, you know, maybe they play in tandem a little bit. Maybe if Josh Lug continues to struggle, Baker goes back to right tackle, which I think he's at least a little bit more naturally gifted at right now. And, you know, maybe that puts a little bit of a spark there. Um, but no, I mean, so I, I think the offensive line will, will hopefully rise to the occasion a little bit. And like you said, at least give Jack Cohn enough time to make some plays here and there. And when you have Tyree and, and Williams and Mayer, and Austin and Lindsay and Avery Davis, who, by the way, probably played his best game in a Notre Dame uniform last week. And, you know, just some of these other guys that they can mix and match. Um, I, I do think if they have enough time to get those guys in space, it, it could possibly even be a longer day for, uh, for Wisconsin than people are expecting. Yeah. It's just, it's all about keeping that quarterback upright. That's I like Scott Nelson. Who's, uh, one of Wisconsin's safeties, but I don't think he's necessarily athletic enough to keep up with a Braden Lindsay. But you got to keep Jack Cohn up. You got to keep Tyler Buckner up. That's where this game is going to be decided. If Wisconsin has four or more sacks, it's hard for me to see Notre Dame winning the game. 
If Wisconsin can't get to the quarterback, it's hard for me to see Wisconsin win any game. There's nothing that Wisconsin does offensively that really frightens me. Um, we've seen the big play be an issue for Notre Dame's defense so far this year, at least in the first two games, less so in the third game against Purdue. But Wisconsin doesn't have guys, I think, at least, that are true threats to take it 85 yards to the house on any given play. Um, Danny Davis is a really good receiver. Kendrick Pryor is a really good receiver. But those guys aren't game breakers. They're more so possession type receivers. They don't have they don't have a dude on the outside that runs a 4-3. That's kind of what it comes down to to me. And even so, they've got a young quarterback and that young quarterback is going to face the best defensive player that he's ever faced off in his life in Kyle <laughs> Hamilton. Um, and that's something that could be an X factor in this game. You know, Hamilton's already got three picks on the season. I think he should have four because I, I think that there's no way that ball against Toledo hit the ground. Everyone um, on Toledo's you. opening drive, <laughs> um, except for that officiating crew somehow, yes. but I have yes. no idea how that play got overturned. Um, and I would expect him to have another interception this week because I think that he's probably a little bit too NFL ready for a guy like Graham Mertz right now. I agree, and I actually I tweeted that out yesterday. I'm trying, I think I set the line at six and a half. Um, six and a half seems to be the number for for this week. Uh, Danny, I'm gonna ask you two questions in one here. One, does Kyle Hamilton go over six and a half interceptions? And then, I don't know if you're a betting guy, but the Wisconsin line is minus six and a half. Uh, I don't know if you can explain that to me. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I think, and I'll start with the Wisconsin line first. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, Wisconsin looked good against a bad team in Eastern Michigan, who's one of the 15 worst FBS teams, I think it's probably fair to say. Um, they had a week off, which certainly does help anytime you're preparing for a game. And Notre Dame has underwhelmed. Um, I think it's a bit high of a line. If I were wagering, I would take Notre Dame plus six and a half. I think anytime you can get that, you have to feel good about things. Um, if you're betting with Notre Dame, you know, adding six and a half points, there's not many teams in the country right now that would beat them by more than six and a half points. And as for Kyle Hamilton, I will take the over. I think he probably gets close to eight. Um, my only trepidation with that is I'm concerned teams are going to stop throwing to even his side of the field. But to counterpoint myself here, <laughs> Florida State didn't throw to his side of the field, and he had two interceptions. So I kind of anything is possible with that kid. Yeah, I kind of said the same thing. Um, when Mason set that line on his Twitter the other day, I said that he'll go barely over and hit seven. Um, and I think it partly because they'll stop throwing to him, but it, go, it goes exactly to what you just said, that you know you don't necessarily have to throw to him, and he'll somehow make it to where you threw to him. <laughs> threw to him. Yeah. Yeah, I, he's just – he's unbelievable, man. He he really is. He's a special player, certainly one of my favorite Notre Dame players that I've ever gotten to watch. Danny, I'm going to – I'm like – I'm looking at the Wisconsin depth chart right now, and I'm specifically sort of looking at their defense. Um, and I think it really echoes a lot of what you said. I mean, you have Matt Henninson, who's a redshirt senior. You have Isaiah Mullins, who's a redshirt junior. Sanborn, redshirt senior. Noah Burks, redshirt senior. Fion Hicks, redshirt senior. 
uh, Colin Wilder. Uh, it looks like he was a transfer, but he's also a redshirt senior. Scott Nelson, who you mentioned, Caesar Williams, both redshirt seniors. So really veteran uh, defense. Um, and you were there for a lot of these guys, um, you know, being on that roster. One, The one thing, and, and you, you're probably a little bit more in depth with this, and that's why I'm asking you. Um, I'm looking at their their linebackers specifically. This is where I think Notre Dame has a little bit of an edge. And not because their linebackers are bad. I think they're actually very good downhill attacking linebackers, kind of maybe like your, like you mentioned, Manti Teo earlier, kind of like your traditional, you know, two down linebacker of sorts um, who can wreck a game in many ways at the collegiate level. But I don't know. I, I think Tommy Reese has to be thinking of ways to, to get Michael Mayer open in the middle of the field or Avery Davis open in the middle of the field, partly because these guys aren't, super inept at it in space or or covering you know elite weapons like like i mentioned with the with those couple guys is that is that kind of where you see maybe um outside of the you know hoping notre dame can get the ball in the hands of austin and Lindsay in space and, and and do those sort of things and give them time do you see the middle of the field as maybe an area where notre dame can take advantage of as well i do because i think notre dame has more guys in the middle of the field that can make plays than Wisconsin has to cover um, those guys. Like, I think if I had to bet, you're going to see Scott Nelson, the, their free safety, probably cover Michael Mayer um, a good chunk of that game. I think just from a physical standpoint, he's Wisconsin's best option because I don't think Wisconsin's linebackers are um, are fast enough. And, you know, Nelson's a little bit bigger of a safety He's listed at six to 205. He's always been a really strong kid. Um, even when he was a, a freshman, redshirt freshman. Um, I know he's, he's had injuries in the past. A shoulder injury certainly comes to mind. Um, but I don't think their linebackers are necessarily fast enough to, to keep up with Michael Mayer. Um, but that said, you know, it might be a two person job. And if it's a two person job, that means Kevin Austin's not a two-person job. That means Braden Lindsay's not a two-person job. And it comes down to, do you think Fayon Hicks and Cesar Williams can cover Braden Lindsay and Kevin Austin? I don't think so consistently, but that's it, it all reverts back ultimately, guys, to can Notre Dame keep the quarterback upright? They haven't been able to this year so far. If Wisconsin's going to bring pressure, which they're going to get to, to Jack Cohn or to Tyler Buckner at certain points, if they can't keep those guys upright, it doesn't matter who can cover Michael Mayer, who can't, because the ball can't get there. Um, so I think the middle of the field is a an area where Notre Dame should look to attack. It's just, are they going to have time? So we've kind of broken down the game now. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to need a score prediction. Um, I do think Notre Dame finds a way to win this, this game. Um, so I've been talking with – one of my friends who covers the Minnesota Timberwolves, um, I'm so good friends with him, lives in Minnesota, big Notre Dame fan, which actually one of my favorite parts about being on that beat is one of the beat writers was a big Notre Dame fan. Uh, another one of the beat writers went to Notre Dame, covered Notre Dame for the Chicago Tribune, um, and is a big Notre Dame fan still. So that was awesome. Like I got to work alongside guys that love Notre Dame, so that was terrific. But I – I was talking to him last week and this team feels a little 2012 ish in terms of, are they really that good? But also who's going to beat them on this schedule? 
And I don't know the answers to either of those questions. I don't think Wisconsin is as good as Notre Dame is. Um, I know Notre Dame's ranked higher. I know Wisconsin's favored on Saturday, but I think this is probably a game Notre Dame wins 20 to 17, 24 to 21. I think it's a close game, but I think Notre Dame just probably has a few too many athletes for Wisconsin. You got any bold predictions for the game? I mean, I don't think predicting Kyle Hamilton to have two interceptions is bold. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, it's not anymore. Yeah, but that would be the one. Um, I think we finally see that big play from Braden Lindsay. Uh, Nathan, I know you and I had texted about this last week, how we were just kind of waiting for for that Will Fuller touchdown catch against USC moment from Lindsay. And he's got the jet sweep touchdown against USC, I think as a freshman, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think he was a redshirt freshman. Like that, that that's yeah. been his moment at Notre Dame. And we've kind of been waiting for another one. And I think that he gets it this week. Gotcha. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, um, you know, keeping, you know, obviously keeping Cohen out uh, upright, keeping Buckner upright if he's playing. And, um, it, you know, if, if we see, you know, four or five sacks out of Wisconsin, then it's probably not going to be a good day for Notre Dame offensively. And it's funny because that was sort of going to be my bold prediction um, this week. Um, I'm a little bit more bullish on, on Notre Dame. Um, you know, maybe that's the, the Homer in the golden Homer's podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you got to um, make it fit. Right, right. Exactly. But, uh, um, I, I predicted earlier this week, uh, like something like 34, 18, something, something along those lines, 34, 17, I think Notre Dame, I think it's maybe somewhat close early on. And then Notre Dame scores like a late touchdown and, and doesn't drop it this time, um, to make the score <laughs> look a little bit better than, than maybe like, like, I, I really do think that the Purdue score. I mean, if you're not watching that and you see 34, 13, it just looks so much better it does. than, than 27 to 13. Cause you're getting into the thirties. All of a sudden you're, you, you win by, you know, 21 points or whatever that is. Um, but yeah, so my bold prediction um, outside of the score is that they, that uh, Wisconsin has two or less sacks on the day. Oh, that, that is, is bold. bold. Mm. All right. Well, I guess it's time to go with mine. I've been going back and forth numbers in my head here. I'm going to say 27-17 Notre Dame. Um, I think it, yeah, kind of along the lines, you guys hit it pretty well. Um, I think the game's definitely hotly contested through the first half, potentially even nervy. I think Wisconsin may even lead at halftime, but I think Notre Dame makes some second half adjustments and uh, kind of not runs away with it. 10-point game is nothing to run away with, but um, – finishes strong down the stretch i'm trying to think of a bold prediction i'm gonna go i think last week i said that or maybe it was a toledo week that a freshman would score a touchdown i'm gonna say Dion colsey gets his first touchdown i think he might be a mismatch in the red zone and uh Notre Dame's gonna give him a fade that is uh also very bold i would say hey mason one of these days you'll get that one right yeah i think i'm just gonna go with it every week until it happens and i might just continue next year too that's fair that's fair um well danny i don't think we can let you go without talking a little bit of nfl um i think is for as big of a notre dame fan as you are you're you're also probably equally if not more um of a fan of of just the cleveland browns maybe the cleveland cavaliers you can throw in there as well i know you you cover the nba um and, and love covering the nba but um in regards to to this week our team's play uh, Justin Fields is going to get his first start in a, in a Bears uniform. Um, 
at Cleveland. Um, I know that you were you were sort of hoping that Dalton would probably get that start when we were kind of texting back and forth. But at the yeah. same time, first you know first game on the road against a really good defense. Um, you know, I know Mason probably has his thoughts as well. He's a big Justin Fields guy, um, and, and he hates Cleveland. So, um, <laughs> what what are sort of your uh, you know your thoughts going into uh, the this Bears Cleveland matchup? Um, I do wish Dalton were the guy that we're playing over Justin Fields. I think I, I think that the Bears got a good one in Justin Fields. Um, I really do. You know, if I were the general manager of the New York Jets, I would have taken him number two overall over Jack over Zach Wilson over Trey Lance. Like I I still don't understand why those guys were drafted ahead of Fields, and maybe time will prove me wrong. Um, but I'm I don't want to say fearful because anytime you're facing off with a rookie quarterback. And I know it's not his first game action because he's played in both games for the Bears. Um, you know, the loss against the Rams and the win over the Bengals. But anytime it's your first start, it's on the road, it's against a playoff team, that is something that's tough. Um, and it's, you know, it's a one o'clock game on Sunday. So it's not the world's biggest stage for Fields, but. He's going to be doing something he's never done before. Um, and I think that's probably something that is to worry about for Chicago. And I think that's something in Cleveland's favor. And the fact that Chicago's offensive line just isn't very good, that helps out Cleveland because their defensive line hasn't posted the numbers that everyone would like to see in terms of sack production. Like they only have three sacks through two games. But they also have the fifth highest win rate amongst defensive linemen. Like Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney have been doing their jobs. It's just Patrick Mahomes got the ball out so quickly. And then Terod Taylor, before he got hurt against Cleveland this past week, got the ball out so quickly. So I think that this is probably a week where Cleveland's going to make Justin Fields beat them. And who knows? He could be very capable of doing that. But I think that there are probably going to be few – Um, gimme throws that Cleveland just allows because this is probably a week for them to unleash that pass, the pass rush rush duo. Um, And who I I think that they might want to get a little bit more creative with their blitzing. Um, Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa is probably going to play the most he's ever played because uh, the Browns have a linebacker in Sione Takitaki, who's going to be out this week. uh, Very, very, Great name. Um, he went to BYU. I actually watched him play in college. Uh, BYU beat Wisconsin at Camp Randall once upon a time, and he was on that team. Um, he went to, to BYU, was a fourth-round draft pick a couple years ago, I think. But he's out with a hamstring injury. So Uso Cormo is going to play more this week than he has in either of the first two. And I think that's just him with Grant Delpit, who made his NFL debut at safety out of LSU towards Achilles last year, missed his whole rookie season. Um, he made his debut this past week. I think that the Browns are going to start to be able to be more and more creative with what they do defensively, and that's probably a bad thing for a rookie quarterback. Yeah, I have to imagine that they're going to scheme him up a little bit. And uh, I, I just can't stop thinking about when – Justin Fields said in the preseason that everything seems slow. And I have a feeling everything's going to seem fast quickly with this Browns defense. Uh, Nathan, do you think he's going to regret, regret that quote? I don't know if he's going to regret it. Um, I like the confidence, you know, it's weird. The, the, the bears to me are such a weird team. I don't think I have, have pegged them 
where I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't been able to put my finger on what they're going to be yet. Um, week one, their, their defense looks horrible against Matt Stafford and the Rams, uh, specifically in the secondary. And then week two, they play the Bengals who granted aren't, you know, I don't think they're there yet, but I think they are an ascending team overall from a talent standpoint. And all of a sudden, you know, the, they're, they're ball hawking in the secondary, uh, you know, they're getting a pass rush more so than they did week one. Roquan Smith looks like he's back to, you know, his 2020 days. I think he looked actually kind of mediocre uh, week one against the Rams. Um, you know, and then I know Danny mentioned the offensive line. I do think the offensive line is a weakness, but then you see some of the, the PFF scores. I'm not a, a huge pro football focused person, but Jason Peters and uh, Jermaine Ifedi. Uh, posted like the two best PFF scores of the week in week two. Um, I do think the the Bears strength on their offensive line is the interior with, with white hair and, and Daniels. And I think they actually did a pretty good job week one uh, against Aaron Donald until the game got out of hand. So I don't really know what to make of the Bears offensive line. I do think this will be the best defense they play. And I, and obviously I don't care who you are keeping miles Garrett away from the quarterback is going to be a, a, a tough duty and, 39 year old Jason Peters, I think will have a harder time as almost anybody doing that. Um, and then obviously Justin Fields having a week to, to scheme, um, you know, and actually have a playbook that is going to play to his strengths. I think that obviously helps him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to predict the bears to win this week specifically because it's on the road and, you know, pretty much everything you guys mentioned with rookie quarterback. And I think just Cleveland's a better team in general. Um, but it, but I think it will certainly be an interesting game. Nathan, can you walk me through the logic of Matt Nagy announcing that Fields is going to be the starter on Wednesday rather than, you know, trying to hold that in his pocket as long as he can? Like, that's just Matt something. That, well, <laughs> even I will say Kevin Stefanski, the Browns head coach, did that last week with Odell Beckham Jr. And I realized that whether or not a wide receiver is playing is not on the same level as whether or not your starting quarterback is playing, but I don't understand telling the world that right now you could have waited until Friday or Saturday. I think the biggest reason is because it was starting to become common knowledge regardless um, that he was going to be the guy. Uh, And partly because Dalton Dalton's injury was considered kind of a week to week injury and something that might keep him out for three to four weeks in general. So I, I think that's probably where his logic lies. I'm not saying I agree with it or disagree with it per se. Um, but I think it was just one of those things like kind of like when Notre Dame played Florida state week one, everybody knew Jordan Travis was going to start. It was just, it was very common knowledge. I don't even think Notre Dame prepared for, uh, for, um, well, I can't even think of his name. Mackenzie Milton. Mackenzie Milton, who ended up, you know, torching them in the fourth quarter and maybe they should have prepared for him because of <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> but, uh, um, with, with them keeping it on the down low, I mean, I think, Notre Dame only prepared for Travis because that was who they thought. And I think the Browns were probably only going to prepare for Justin Fields this week anyway. Um, and if you can prepare for Justin Fields in all reality, you can probably prepare for Andy Dalton just because I, I think the skill set is just so vastly different that if, if you can stop Fields, you can stop Dalton overall. That's fair. Mason, you got anything else for, for Danny? Not a lot. I am excited to watch the game, just knowing both of you now. I mean, I was going to watch anyways. I had to splurge on the red zone. but um, Oh, yeah, red I'm zone's the best, for... man. <laughs> What's that? 
Red Zone is the best. You, oh, it is. There is yeah. as a society. My mom figured it out and uh, kind of finessed this. <laughs> so that's cool. But um, yeah, as a society, it, uh, we have figured out the perfect way to watch football, and it oh, is NFL Red Zone. And are you guys Scott Hansen or Andrew Siciliano guys? I'm Scott Hansen. Oh yeah, Hansen all the way. So I'll be honest, I don't really watch Red Zone. Um, I don't have it, and I usually go to a buddy's house or to the bar to watch the games. Um, so like sometimes we'll have it on, but it's usually like, without the sound or something like that. And we're listening to like another broadcast. Like last week we had red zone on, on one TV and we had the bears Bengals on another TV and we were listening to the bears Bengals broadcast. So I'm the wrong guy to ask. Sure. Well, it is fair. a ton of fun. You got to try it. Yeah, no, I guess I watch it every now and then, but it's more so, like I said, with the sound off and I'm watching like multiple games at one time with red zone kind of on as well. So that full seven um, hours is just a great experience and guaranteed <laughs> having your spouse mad at you. Well, yeah, that's true. She's always mad. So <laughs> um, who, who before we let Danny go, who the Steelers got? I have been so focused on work stuff. I don't even pay attention to what the, who the Steelers are playing this week. They play Cincinnati. There you go. All right. Well, I don't. I don't think they're going to pick off Joe Burrow on three consecutive throws like the Bears did. Probably not. But to be honest, my am I like tears of fandom? The Steelers are like fourth. That's fair. So I'm not living and dying with every play like Notre Dame. I'm still a big fan, but it's not like I'm. I don't follow so closely. You did throw out that question earlier this week, and I know it's funny because it was between you and Ben Belden, who Danny knows very well. Oh, um, yeah, I meant to mention this. And then and then I commented, and then Danny actually texted me the next day. He goes, hey, you're wrong about Joe Burrow, by the way. I don't know that you're <laughs> wrong. I wouldn't say that you're wrong. I certainly am not as high on him as you are. I think that his his – football playing career has been a very small sample size. Um, you know, you mentioned Mitch Trubisky earlier um, as only really playing one year. I know Burrow played two years at LSU, one year that everyone paid attention to. But sure. after that first year, he was a guy that eh, he might get drafted. He might be like a sixth or seventh round pick. And then all of a sudden he's the number one overall pick because he got to throw to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Um, and I know he <laughs> still gets to throw to Jamar Chase, but. You know, that certainly went into it. And I I think that he's hurt by his coaching. I I don't think Zach Taylor is a very good coach. Um, I don't think he'll be the first one in the NFL fired, per se, because that's just not how that organization operates. But I think that a change of coaching there could do him well. But I'm hesitant to say that he's got the – I don't think he has the brightest future of quarterbacks in that organization or in that – Division, excuse me. Well, I, I know Ben Roethlisberger fair. doesn't. No, Ben. Uh, ben. I mean, his future is bright if you enjoy retirement. I hope he's gone soon. Just get a new guy in and figure it out. I hope they hand over the keys to Mason Rudolph forever. Lifetime contract. <laughs> well, and it was funny when you mentioned the uh, the the tweet in general because obviously Ben Roethlisberger, as of right now, is the most accomplished player on that list. Future Hall of Famer. Oh yeah, no uh, doubt. Uh, and is he you know, a Hall he, of Famer? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. If, I mean, if Eli, if Eli Manning is considered in the Hall of Fame, then then Roethlisberger's a shoe in. Yeah, Ben Ben will be in the Hall of Fame. Oh man, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't strike me as like I don't know. It seems like you have that feeling. Well, obviously, you guys do. I don't. Even being a Steelers guy, I'm like, oh yeah, he is. And to me, he's just not. But I don't know. That's just a gut thing. 
Yeah, I mean, he won what two Super Bowls, right? Um, yep. He's been in the playoff. He he never went below five hundred as a quarterback. Um, does he have an MVP? Think. No, I don't think he does. No, he does not. But I That's I think he'll that. be in the Hall of Fame. Because I, yeah, I was gonna that. say, I think that at least part of me, there was at least a good four or five year period of his career where I think you could argue that he was maybe the best quarterback in the NFL at one time. Uh, um, but if he his, didn't win an his MVP, prime, his prime kind of uh, was identical to Tom Brady's. So uh, he didn't necessarily like the the years that. It, it's kind of funny if you look at their careers because the years Tom Brady was at his best the Patriots didn't win Super Bowls right Um, like they went through that they won it in what 05 or 06 and then they went to the Super Bowl in 07 that was the year they went undefeated and lost and they didn't win it again for you know four or five more years like they had that gap in in their Super Bowl wins but that was also the time where Tom Brady was just unquestionably the best in football yeah no, and obviously I think he probably is unquestionably the best um, just in general. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, we've been kind of rambling a little bit about, uh, about the NFL here for a little bit. Uh, it's, we've been going about a little longer than an hour now. Um, I know I got to get ready to I'm, – I'm three hours behind you guys, so it's time for, for me to get some dinner. I know you guys have probably already done that. But, uh, <laughs> um, Danny, real quick, I, we didn't, we didn't uh, address your uh, Twitter handle or anything like that. Where can um, everybody find you at? Oh, I am at a real D Cunningham on Twitter. That is Perfect. where all my stuff lives. Perfect. And if you're a Cleveland sports fan, he's a terrific follow. If you're a Notre Dame fan, he he's not always active in, in regards to Notre Dame on his social media, but he's a terrific follow in general from a sports standpoint. Um, and, and if he'll certainly talk, you you know, talk with you about Notre Dame, if you, if you add him on it. So uh, definitely give Danny a follow, um, you know, and, and, you know, just uh, certainly talk his ear off about Notre Dame because I think he needs to put it more on the timeline. <laughs> yes, it's not uh, not very prevalent on the timeline, um, but I do. Uh, I certainly do care. I don't know I, if I have the audience that necessarily cares about it as much as I do, um, but I uh, I live and die with Notre Dame football every weekend. Perfect, perfect. Well, again, guys. Um, this was, I think, episode six uh, of the Golden Homers podcast. Uh, you can you can find us anywhere you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever wherever you find them, Stitcher. Uh, we we use Anchor. Um, I got to talk up Anchor for a second. Um, so if you if you do not have a podcast platform, please follow us on Anchor um, and and listen to it there. Um, but again, Danny, it was great great having you on. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get this edited and, and get it out for, uh, for tomorrow. So, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. You guys should be hearing this, uh, on Thursday, um, before the uh, Notre Dame, Wisconsin game. Um, and, and like you mentioned, 12 Eastern time in Chicago at soldier field, um, 9 AM Pacific time. If you're, if you're in Vegas, like myself, Mason, you got anything to wrap this up? Nope. Everybody. Thanks for listening and go Irish. All right. Go Irish.